Everyone loves a good marriage proposal story. But if we took the time and even went around the sanctuary, we'd probably hear a lot of interesting tales of when somebody proposed and, and, and asked their, their spouse to marry them. And sometimes it's kind of standard and, and traditional. Other times it, it's just completely different. And I think that's what we find in our story this morning, but also in the story I'm going to share with you. Apparently there was one marriage proposal that was so unique that it received national attention a few years back. Reed Harris had fallen in love with his girlfriend, Caitlin Whipple, and wanted a memorable proposal. So he invited her along with some of her friends to Wendy's, and they ordered her a Frosty. And while she wasn't looking, he put the ring in the Frosty. Well, despite the ring's large size, apparently Caitlin inhaled that Frosty and she swallowed the ring. At first, when, when Reed told her that you just swallowed your, the engagement ring I was going to propose to you with, she didn't believe him, but after he insisted, they finally went to the ER. When the doctor came into the room with her x-ray, they could see clearly see the ring, and it was sitting in her large intestine. So Reed dropped to one knee, and he held the x-ray out in his hand, (laughs) and he proposed to her. And apparently she said yes, and as soon as she said yes, the whole ER erupted in, in celebration. After this, she turned to the doctor and said, how in the world are we going to get this out of there? And the doctor looked at her with a devilish smile and said, this too shall pass. Everyone likes a good marriage proposal story. And our passage this morning, I think, tells us of one of the most unique proposals in the Bible, in Scripture. Last week we saw how Ruth met Boaz in the ripened barley fields just outside of the city of Bethlehem. It seems, for, uh, it seems Ruth's first impression of, of Boaz was really positive. The things he did, how he treated others. He was kind to his workers. They had a lot of respect for him. When when Boaz found out that that Ruth was uh, gleaning in his fields, and, and because Bethlehem wasn't that big and everyone knew each other's business, they knew that Ruth and Naomi didn't have hardly anything. They were barely getting by, and so Boaz went out of his way to provide for for Ruth and through Ruth, Naomi. And he went up and above what normally Scripture requires of of us um, for those who have fields like that back then. um, Normally, you just allowed people to uh, glean if, if there was need, but in this case, he even put extra out so that Ruth and Naomi would have enough. Also, while they were gleaning, Ruth gets invited to uh, um, draw water from the bucket that his workers um, were using. And when it was lunchtime, apparently Boaz um, wanted Ruth to share his lunch and gave her some bread and she dipped it in his wine vinegar and and then filled her plate up with roasted grain, and she ate as much as she she wanted. 
and the leftovers she put in her pockets to bring home to Naomi. And then that night, three fists of a bushel of of barley she had collected. Clearly a blessing from the Lord. And so chapter 2 ends with Ruth telling Naomi that Boaz had invited her to come back to her field, come back to his field, and continue to glean, not only through the barley harvest, but also through the wheat harvest, which would have taken about two months altogether. Which brings us to chapter 3. Now keep in mind that two months have passed since the end of chapter 2 to the beginning of chapter 3. You kind of have to keep that in mind because it, otherwise it, it, it just you wonder how in the world this could happen the way, the way it does. And so as chapter 3 begins, the harvest is over and now they're winnowing the, the barley and the wheat. And since usually the, the threshing floor was a, a communal space, they took turns using it. And so apparently this was uh, Boaz's turn to, to thresh wheat. And since the breeze that you needed to uh, you'd throw the, the, the grain with the chaff up in the air and the chaff would blow away, you had to have that breeze. And apparently the breeze at that time of the year only came in the late afternoon into the evening. And so that's normally when they would start. Which means for two months, Ruth gleaned in Boaz's fields. And I bet for two months, every time Ruth came home from gleaning, Naomi was probably right there. What did he say? What did he do? How did he treat you? But by the end of chapter 2 again, it it just left us hanging. We didn't know what was going to happen. And so now in chapter 3, Naomi says to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it might be well with you? Notice the change that's come over Naomi. Before, she could only see herself. She was was self-absorbed. Remember, she she wanted everyone to call her Mara bitter because she was bitter. and um, She says, I've come back to you empty, even though I went away full and But now Naomi's faith has been growing. And so a change is taking place. And suddenly she's interested in those around her, especially in Ruth. And now she's thinking about Ruth's welfare and Ruth's future. A while back I read something about a Nobel Prize, Nobel Prize Peace winner named Eli Wiesel, who was in Auschwitz at the end of the, the war. He said the worst thing about being in a concentration camp was not the, the gas chamber, not the beatings, not even the threat of death every day, but the worst thing that, that was so hard for him was to have passerbys from the, the local town go by the camp and not be willing to make, make eye contact with them. He said these, these folks would look at the prisoners But as soon as they saw one of the prisoners look back at him, they immediately looked away and looked down or looked in in another direction. In the article he wrote, he said, the opposite of love is not hate, he says, but it's apathy. Despite there being numerous churches and towns near Auschwitz, yet the churches were silent 
And there seemed to be a lack of compassion for the Jews and for those who were being killed and starved to death in those camps. I wonder, you think the church is ever guilty of that today as well? That apathy? Of not being able to see the needs of those around us? Sometimes I think we have blinders on, like they do with horses, and they can't see to the side, they can only see forward. And sometimes we don't see the needs of those around us. And even though we have an opportunity to reach out and and love and help, yet because we're not seeing the need, they don't feel Christ's love flowing through us. You know, there's a lot of hurting people, even in the church. And so the question is, will you just come to church and go back home? Or or will you see those needs and, and, and be led by the Spirit to maybe meet some of those needs? For those who are going through a divorce. For young parents who have lots of children and what a struggle that can be at times. It can be even a bit overwhelming. Some of our elderlies, the loneliness they struggle with, health problems just because they're slowly getting old. What about the fate of the unborn? Just as the loving kindness of the Lord transformed Naomi, that same loving kindness needs to transform our hearts as well. And we need to open our eyes like we see Boaz and like we see Naomi doing in our our story. And so after two months, Naomi decides to take matters into her own hands. She says to Ruth, shall I not seek rest for you? That's literally what she is saying there. She says, it's time for you to rest from your labors. And and you wonder, well, how does she... How, how is that going to happen? What, what is Naomi thinking of? But clearly she's thinking of marriage. Of Ruth being married to Boaz so that her needs would be met. So that she would be care, cared for. That she'd have a home that someone would provide for her. And so Ruth, I mean, Naomi has a plan. And so she tells Ruth to bathe, put some perfume on, probably some nice clothes, and to go to the threshing floor where Boaz would be sleeping. Now some commentaries, they, they don't really like Naomi's plan very much. They try to imply that Naomi really wanted Ruth to try to seduce Boaz. But when you look at the story and you, you read it for what we find here, that's not what it says. And I, I think there's other things clearly going on. I mean, don't forget that um, both Ruth and and Boaz, they were virtuous, they they were godly. People looked up to them because they they respected them, because that's just the kind of people they they are. And and so you know right away that they wouldn't engage in, in something like that. I think part of the reason is, uh, first... um, Ruth was in mourning. And normally when people were in mourning, they wore the clothes that mourners would wear. 
And so I have to think that when, when Naomi tells Ruth to bathe and put perfume on and, and make herself presentable, part of what she's saying there is, your mourning is over. We don't know how long she had been mourning for her husband, but your mourning is over. It's time to, to move on, to look forward, to look to the future. I think sometimes, too, guys just need a little bit of a push, don't they? Ladies? We're clueless sometimes, us men, about when it comes to things of romance. And Thank you for not saying amen. <laughs> so Ruth puts a, on a warm cloak, and she goes over to the threshing floor and waits until after Boaz had eaten and, and drank and, and fallen asleep. And since this was Boaz's grain, he would be the one who would be responsible for sleeping there to keep anyone from taking the grain or to keep hungry animals away. Our text tells us that Ruth quietly and softly walks across that threshing floor and lays down at Boaz's feet and places part of his robe over herself. And so when Boaz awoke, in the middle of the night, he asks, a, a, I think, a pretty reasonable, reasonable question. Who are you? To the woman that's lying down at his feet. Remember, it's dark. They don't have nightlights. Just the moon outside if it was shining. And so Ruth replies, I'm your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. Let me point out two things about that request. First, in, in, in the, the Hebrew, Ruth is really using a play on words. Something Boaz had said to her previously in the last chapter. Let me read it again. Chapter 2, verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So now Boaz said that to Ruth. And now Ruth is using almost that same phrase and, and putting it back to, to Boaz. And he's really, she's really asking him to be the answer, that Boaz would be the answer to his own prayer, or his own blessing over her. Just as a chick might hide under its mother's wings. That's what Ruth was asking Boaz to do for her. To watch over her, to protect her, to provide for her. And Ruth was asking him to do this through the covenant of marriage. This word picture of that, that Ruth uses about Boaz, redeeming her and, and spreading his wings over her. There's other places in the Bible that use that same wording. And I just wanted to point out one of them. Ezekiel 16, verse 8. Ezekiel 16, verse 8. And here we hear God talking about His bride, who was Israel. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. So even here, God is using that same wordplay. Spread the corner of my garment over you to depict, depict the, the covenant relationship that he wanted to enter into with his people with his bride. 
Second, she's asking Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer. And I'm not going to say a lot about that this morning. We'll talk more about that next week. But a kinsman redeemer was really responsible for for protecting the interests of, of family, extended family, providing for the needy members. Also, in this case, if a spouse dies, then the kinsman redeemer would step in and, and um, be that husband to the, the, the widow so that her legacy wouldn't end, so that her name would, the name of the father would, would continue on. I think, you know, for us, we have to ask ourselves sometimes, have we asked Jesus to spread his wings over us? To spread his garment over us? To cover our sin? Have we asked Jesus to come and be our Redeemer, to be our Lord and Savior? And this is something we, you don't just ask one time, but it's something that while we ask the one time and in, in inviting Jesus to come into our hearts, but we need to continue to ask him that to make sure that we truly are depending on our Father in heaven instead of ourselves or looking to the world around us to be our help and strength. You know, you wonder what it was like to be in Boaz's shoes. He goes to sleep and wakes up with a woman lying at his feet, wanting to get married. Why do you think he's so quick to agree to Ruth's proposal? I know for a decision like that, if I woke up in the middle of the night, I'd need at least two cups of coffee before I could even talk about anything, right? And then talk about marrying somebody? But I think Boaz is ready to answer, to give her an answer immediately because he's been thinking about this. He's been thinking about it for two months. But again, I think because Ruth had those clothes of mourning on, he left her alone because he knew that that was a time that she needed. But now suddenly to see her completely changed and, and wearing regular clothes and probably looking like a, a, a bit of a bride, he knows that she's ready and so... He's ready to act. When Boaz hears Ruth's wedding proposal, Boaz says to her that your kindness is greater now than it was before the the kindness that you showed to Naomi. Boaz says that she could have gone after anybody, any young buck. She must have been an attractive woman. She could have had anyone that she wanted, but instead, she chose Boaz. And the reason she chose Boaz was so that her mother-in-law would be provided for. Because Boaz was a kinsman redeemer. And while Boaz was more than happy to be that redeemer for her, yet because of his morals, because he wanted to do what's right, to do what's legal, he informs her that there's actually a kinsman redeemer that's even closer to you than I am. And he says, you need to go to 
him first. But if he's unwilling, I'd be more than, I'd be more than happy to be your kinsman redeemer. That's what Boaz basically tells her. Verse 13, he says, as the Lord lives, then I will redeem you. Doesn't have to think about it. He's given it thought. And because of, of his loving kindness, he wants to be used by the Lord to help Ruth and Naomi. I think it's clear from our text that Boaz is a, really a foreshadowing of, of Christ, of God's affection for you. Boaz's kindness, his, his eagerness to act, it's really a picture of how God delights in us, in each of us, his children. God delights in our salvation. He delights in you not because of any good that you've done, not because of what you bring to the table, but he delights in you because of the righteousness that he sees covering us because of the blood of Jesus. That's why he delights in us. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of his son. Do you know right now that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus? God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Do you know that God couldn't love you any more than he does right now? That's how important you are to him. And yet we doubt, don't we? When trouble comes, it's so easy to doubt. It's so easy to be filled with anxiety. It's so easy to try to work it out in our own strength and then we end up messing up. But God loves us. He loves you. And He wants only the best for you. And He says to you, will you trust Me? Will you trust My love? My loving kindness? What were some of the lines of that song we sang a little while ago? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. Our text tells us that Ruth went home when it was still dark so that no one would see her. But before she left, Boaz fills her, her cloak with six measures of, of barley. Most commentaries say it would have been anywhere from 60 to 80 pounds. And then he places it either on her, Boaz places it on her back or on her head. Ruth must have been buff. You know, I mean, that's not an easy thing. And on top of it, there's probably bushels of grain Sitting at home. I mean, if she was able to glean three-fifths of a, a, a bushel in one day because of the, how kind that, that Boaz was, now she's been doing, been part gleaning the, the, the barley harvest as well as the wheat harvest. You can just imagine how much grain she had at home. And yet, Boaz gives her six more helpings. And, and you, you wonder why. Boaz must have known that, that Ruth and Naomi had all this grain sitting at home, but I'm sure the reason he did it is because God placed it on his heart. Because remember what Naomi said when she got to Bethlehem? That she was empty. She went away full, but she came back empty. She had nothing. The Lord had taken it all away. 
And I think Boaz's gift to Ruth is to counter that, to let her know that your hands are no longer empty, but they're overflowing with God's blessing and His goodness. When Ruth comes home, Naomi asked her, how did it fare, my daughter? I think a more literal translation in the Hebrew here is simply, who are you? And I think because that that seems so vague, that's why they translated it a little bit different. But that's basically what the Hebrew says here. Who are you? Now, why would Naomi ask Ruth that question? Who are you? It's not because she didn't recognize her. But I think she was looking for a clue. She was asking Ruth, really, are you engaged? Did Boaz make the first step? Because remember, engagement was just like being married in that culture. It was, it was a big deal. And so Ruth tells her the story of all that Boaz had done for her. And so then Naomi says, well, you just sit and wait because Boaz will take care of this today. Naomi could see the writing on the wall. But yet the chapter ends again as a cliffhanger. What's going to happen to Ruth? You've got to wait until next week to find out. There's a story told about a train traveling through a bad storm one night. And because of all the, the rain and the lightning and the thunder, those on the, the train, they were getting pretty nervous. It wasn't long before it started raining even harder and you couldn't even hear yourself talk because of all the noise that rained on the, on, on the car's roof, all the, all the noise that it was, it was making. Also, when they looked out the windows, they could see the water on the sides of the track slowly rising. And so people were very scared, except for one little girl. One little girl was just playing with her doll and humming and singing, and she seemed as happy as could be. And after about 15 minutes, the, the, the woman sitting next to this little girl said, Honey, I, I, I don't understand it. How can you be so calm while all of us are, are feeling so scared going through this storm? And the little girl said, Oh, I don't have to be scared. My dad's driving the train. Imagine if this described the trust we had in the loving kindness of Jesus. Think of the worry that this would free us of. Think of the quiet confidence that would fill us if we truly believed, you know what? Our God, He's watching over me. He's sovereign. He's in control. And so I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear about tomorrow. I don't have to fear about what happens today because my God is in control and my God loves me. This kind of faith We could actually get out of the boat with Peter, couldn't we? And walk all the way to Jesus. With this kind of faith, we can be just like Ruth, who I think was able to sit home that day with peace in her heart, knowing that God was going to take care of this. She just had to wait. You know, when we are willing to take those steps of faith, that's when our Christian lives... It seems to come alive. 
when you risk everything to take up the cross and follow Jesus, you're going to find more of Jesus than you ever thought possible. This is when we learn to be truly content. This is when we get to go places with Jesus because we're willing. We're open to His leading. And so if He wants us to be a missionary, willing to go. If He wants you to be married, you're willing to do that. If you're willing to be foster parents, God's going to bless that and it becomes an adventure. But in order to do this, we need to put our trust in God. We need to take that step of faith. This morning we have before us a picture of love. It's a picture of God's love for us. A love that He asks us to receive, but also a love that we're called to give away to others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that while these three remain faith, hope, and love, that the greatest of these is love. We, we know that passage. And through the working of the Holy Spirit, may the love we bear be a witness to the world around us that Jesus loves them with all His heart. Enough to die on the cross for their sins. That's what our lives, that's what we proclaim when we're willing to love those around us. Not just those who deserve our love, but even those who don't deserve it. When you're willing to allow the loving kindness of God to flow through you, it's amazing the things that happen and the lives that can be changed. But if we're going to be used by God to change others' lives, then it first needs to start with us. Through the working of the Holy Spirit, may this be true of each of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for the story of Ruth. Lord, for her faith. Lord, for the way she cared for, for Naomi. Lord, for the way she reflected your image in her life and the way Boaz did. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Redeemer, for dying on the cross for our sins, for loving us so much. We just pray that that same love might be evident in our lives and may it freely flow through us to those around us so that they too might know that there is a God who loves them so much. Father, on this Mother's Day, we just pray that we might celebrate the love that our, our mothers, our grandmothers have shown to us. And seeing through that love, Lord, your own love. And so, Lord, be with our moms. Strengthen them. Lord, the task you've given them is not easy. May they feel your nearness, your love, your strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.